Divinity Original Sin 2. One or two. Two. <laughs> I played the first one for several hours oh, and I don't didn't hear many make people it very far. Talk about one. A lot of people talk was, about two. It was good. Two is gooder-er. <laughs> That's how English works. Yeah. It's, it's a, like I've always told people it's essentially the closest you'll get to Dungeons and Dragons in the video game. Right, it's no yeah. point in comparing it to any game because even the games I compare it to are not likely been played a lot. I guess like Baldur's Gate mm. and shit like that. Like, What made you dive into that? It's just inc- it was on sale. Okay. <laughs> no, but the point is I just had a moment today. I was playing right before I, I drove over here and uh, <laughs> I'm 37 <laughs> hours into the game. Okay. I think 37, over 30. Close to forty, That's somewhere there. in there. Yeah, and I just finished a mission where I finished, and the lady I was talking to was like, "All right, you have a long journey ahead of you, and it's just started <laughs> for you." But and I was like, "Wait, what?" I was like, "Scroll over it again." It's like, "Yes, you have a long journey ahead of you. You've just started your journey just now." But there's a whole journey, and I was like, "37 hours." The, the player just. We need you to leave your significant other and also quit your job. 37 hours in, I just have a long journey ahead of me. I've talked to Austin about this before, where um, we read a lot of game reviews, and some writers will just be like, "Man, around like the 10 to 15 hour mark, this game starts to get real good." <laughs> You're like, "What? Can't everything be like Doom, <laughs> like yeah. 2016, where it just what? shoots off?" Like, <laughs> it's funny because like when I was a kid, I ate that shit up. I always wanted, obviously, if the way gaming is now didn't show you that our rising generation of consumers wanted bigger, more open games. Like, right, yeah. that's why they just like push and push and push. But it's kind of the point of obviously of oversaturation. Like, I kind of find that funny considering how impatient people generally are. Well, now. yeah, and obviously included. the trend doesn't and, work. And how people consume things know? in general. Yeah. The most fun I've had recently has been playing Vermintide 2 with fucking Jason and Austin and our friend. Yeah, um, I see how it is. It's cool. <laughs> do you have it? It's on sale. I don't. I don't know. It if might I do. be you said sale. it was five bucks. I don't know if it's still five bucks. Yeah, yeah. it was like seven, five to seven bucks. Right. Oh, Jason bucks. gifted it to me. That's the only reason I've been playing it. I didn't know it was class based till Austin told me. It's it's, it's like, like, I assumed it was like a Left 4 Dead it's style Lef- game. Yeah, it is Left 4 Dead gameplay, <laughs> yeah. except it's not. It's way more complex. You can like dodge and block and do all sorts of shit. Oh, there's skills, there's armor, there's a crafting system. Jeez. There's cla- yeah, I know. There's it's, crafting it's, in it? Yeah, exactly. It's not um is it like Left 4 Dead where it, there's like sort of like you're getting from A to B, or is it more like a killing floor or Call of Duty zombies where you're like holding, there's a little, holding there's, up it's and a, a B. it's A to okay. B, but there are we played some that have like Puzzles, like you have to like, really? you know, like defend something while you're shifting like a puzzle. It's weird. Like, is it structured like a campaign? Like, can you play it? In yeah, yeah, any it has order like an order. Just, yeah, but a, you can also okay. individually play it, just like Left 4 Dead. And well, I know. Uh, do you ever hear that game? It just came out in. Is it early access? GTFO. That was in December. Yeah, it's early access. Okay, so a couple of us have this game, but we have yet to really sink our teeth into it and, and play it. But it's like, I mean, you could probably explain it better than me, but it's almost like a Left 4 Dead or Vermintide style game, except there's no matchmaking in the game. And you need to communicate with people that you know, and it's supposed to be, like, punishingly difficult. And it's almost like a raid where people end up sort of assigning each other roles nice. to, like, yeah. get past certain We played some of areas. the harder levels in Vermintide. Like, we upped the difficulty a little bit, and it's fucking hard. <laughs> like, you definitely need to have better gear, which you get from, like, doing missions and shit. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not like a Destiny loot grind. I don't want to give it that illusion. It seems like you get something that makes you better every single time. Is it like, looping? Is there, like, random loot in yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like, you're opening chests and stuff, but obviously it's, it's marginal. Like, it's just a number to make you get—it's, like, Doom-style, like— 
like idealistically you could just run through and spam a button and like survive you know it just makes it easier that game has been out for a few years too like it feels mm-hmm. funny like diving into like talking about a game from 2016 yeah. or 2017 but but, but anyway uh, yeah. yeah divinity i left the first island of the game 40 hours in, <laughs> so i'll let you know yeah, in uh, where three years where you are. <laughs> and Jason was like, hey, you know, I know it's co-op, so if you ever start a new character anytime soon and want to play, oh, like, I'm yeah, hard to be like, I'm not fucking starting over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do that 37 hours again, dog. You'll figure it out better. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't gate you, does oh, it? that's the issue, is it has so much replayability. Because you really can do anything the way, however you want. Like, I got off the first is area by killing everybody. Is it replayability you, in terms of multiple paths? Or yeah, re- okay. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, every single way. Like I said, I killed everybody in this one fort. There's a way you can sneak through. There's a way you can, like, get a job and, like, work your way to the top through. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Everybody. Like, there's so much shit you can do there. I got one last, uh, I got one last <laughs> bit here when you were talking about... Do you remember Hitman 2016? This is completely unrelated to, like, yes. the, all these games. The first level of that game was, like, a simulation. You're on, like, a boat, like, a cruise ship kind of yeah. thing. But it's all, like, kind of fake. Like, it's, like, cardboardy. <laughs> like, it's, it's meant to be, like, a training mission. I just wanted to know if you could technically kill every single NPC on the map. And I did. <laughs> and it took like it took a lot of time but it was like the fact that they gave me the ability to do that was I was like alright like, I could see why. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. like, it's cool it's cool being able yeah. to solve things however you want like it's just like you find yourself sometimes wanting to become a murder hobo like you do in real life D&D yeah. but like the truth is there are a number of avenues number of clever ways that's, to combine that's shit the, uh, the inverse of Death Stranding where anytime you use lethal force there is a narrative repercussion that yeah. like that you <laughs> Yeah, like, exactly. like yeah. it's like mechanically, like they make you like okay. Now that you've you've resorted to doing that, now you need to spend your forty minutes of real time amending that yeah. mistake. And that's was, pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Or you could just not. Yeah, and then the world explodes. <laughs> <laughs> then you win the game. <laughs> and you can't play the game anymore. You win. That's how video games work. Right. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> You're only a real video game if you have a scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, speaking of, we are back and welcome to Hot Button. I'm a T spinning Randall Beatrice here with Austin Blakesley. Just call me the line. <laughs> and Chris on so enthused. I'll be the um, the shattered out block that you haven't unlocked yet. <laughs> like Mortal the, Kombat. The mysterious eighth piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But this is part two of our history of Tetris, and uh, where we last left off in our story, some rights were finally sold for the game, while most of the other rights were not. I guess it kind of depends uh, who you ask in our uh, cast of characters here. Yeah, catch me up on the cast of characters. Yeah, so thinking about it a little bit, once we finished recording before, I kind of came to the conclusion that giving everyone a sort of a refresher at the beginning of the show today would make things much easier. Yeah. Going also forward. easier on the other two people here. <laughs> Behind the scenes look. For the first time we're not recording a multi-parter all in one day. Yes. So yeah. we even need a bit of a refresher. Which I, I think this works so out this anyway is for the people game that are listening the to The little circle guy goes from one end of the screen and shows up on the other one, right? <laughs> you already made that Pac-Man joke on the last oh, one. Yeah, wait, <laughs> this is the game where you hop on the blocks. It's three-dimensional. This is the one with the invaders from space and they come down. That's... Puzzle bobble? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, bust a move. <laughs> but I just want to make sure that things don't get too overly convoluted and that everyone has a good sense of geography in the story here. Okay. So, for starters, we of course have 
Mr. Alexei Pajitnov, the creator of Tetris. What's his middle name? You didn't say his middle name. I didn't. Leonovich? I think it's (laughs) that. He's been practicing. (laughs) (laughs) But he was working over at the Duradnitsyn Computing Center, where his his soon-to-be phenomenon was born. We also have his friends and associates who assisted him in finalizing and porting the game, Dmitry Pavlovsky and teenage prodigy Vadim Garismov. These three musketeers all very excited to hopefully have their well-enjoyed projects see a little profit and notoriety. Up next, there's Vladimir Pokilko, the psychologist at the Moscow Medical Center. You're going to want to remember this dude for later. But he was the guy who got his team addicted, then threw the copies out. Yeah. Remember that? Although then after, (laughs) he eventually settled and decided to study the title instead, thus growing its relatively local popularity as well. You also had Robert Maxwell and uh, Jim uh, Machinage, the founder and co-founder of the Maxwell Communications Corporation, the company that owned Mirsoft and Spectrum Holobyte, the two publishers and talks to make deals with uh, Academy Soft, which was the internal licensing group within the Russian Academy of Sciences. They're the ones who officially own any product developed at Alexei's place of work. Is that just a company, like a company just for Academy Soft? Yeah, okay. well, Academy Soft was basically like oversaw by the Russian government. Yeah. Then lastly, a couple of major roles here in our tale right now. Phil Adam, who was uh, the head of the United States Publishing Division inside Spectrum, and Richard Stein, the uh, Hungarian owner of the British Andromeda software responsible for writing the first contracts to bring Tetris to the rest of the world. Except there was still a lot more he needed to get on the right path to the big bucks. Is everybody caught up? Uh, so wait, who made this fucking game again? <laughs> so yeah, so like... I remember all of the things that you said, but Mm -hmm. none of the names. (laughs) The only name I still remember is the guy that created it. All right. So this is the quick version, all right? No, I mean, I'm not going to remember them. No, no. Well, hey, this is the easiest way to remember it, and for listeners, too. All right. Pneumatic device. Alexei Pajitnov created Tetris. Uh He had his two partners. He had his two partners. That helps us support The two partners were Dmitry Pavlovsky and DP. Vadim Garismov. Double, double, double penetration, obviously, right? VG? Vladimir Pokilko was the psychologist <laughs> at the Moscow Medical you Center. You can't write this shit. <laughs> I mean, I think we just did. But, all you right. had the Maxwell Corporation. Robert Maxwell was the founder. Jim Montanese was his... Because uh, yeah. it's his last uh, name. Was the co-founder. At Wait, so which one's Tetris? <laughs> <laughs> Mirasoft and Spectra Holobytes are the two companies. Spectrum was the United States one. Mirasoft is the UK one. That one I remember. The publishers. Yeah. By the way, Spectrum Holobyte, fantastic. That name. is great. Yeah, that is exactly. a cool name. I was saying name. that too. And then Phil Adam, he is the... Yeah, that Guardians of the Galaxy villain. We got him. <laughs> well, uh, right. the important one for you to remember right now is Richard Stein. Okay. He, he's basically the licensed Father of Ben Stein, the conservative <laughs> asshole that sold eye drops. I guess I can't... <laughs> He also had a TV show. And he also did that movie Expelled about teaching creationism in high school. Yeah, I was working in a theater when that came out. Cool, cool. (sighs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, Richard Stein. Okay. As per his word of the deal, both Spectrum and Mirasoft were off getting to work on their ports, their IBM ports for home PC release. Remember, it was Spectrum that would be taking the Americas and Japan, while Mirasoft would be handling the UK. Right. And they were only allowed to make IBM ports, right, because of the contract with Academy Soft? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But oh, as so a, they did make the contract last time. At least they said only... Only for the IBM only ports, for IBM. though. Yeah. But they wanted to do it for other computers as well as... I wonder why and... IBM was allowed and nothing else. Do you know why? Or 
I mean, that was kind of the go-to sort of PC platform. Yeah. I uh, wonder if IBM time. had, like, deals with the Soviets or not. Like, they actually, like... I don't know. Helped. Yeah. I mean, IBM computer... I mean, Because the Apple II only just came out, which was the thing that sort of brought Apple into the, the limelight, essentially. But I, I, that probably right. took a few more years for that to be, you know... But as a devoted part of their teams would develop, it was up to the others there at these companies to figure out how to market. A video game surrounding this kind of premise wasn't exactly the easiest sale right now, especially in an industry where Mario, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, and Qbert were taking names. Tetris had no mascot hero or even real plot to speak of. The actual graphics were crude, even at the time. This is when Phil Adam came up with the idea of adding a little personality into the title with Russian imagery. After all, it would technically be the first Russian game to be released commercially in the United States post the war. So while recording the game, they inserted backgrounds of St. Basil's Cathedral, Lenin Stadium, and Red Square during May Day celebration. Uh, what video games came out before the Cold War in America? You said it was the first Russian game that came out after the Cold War. I meant game. <laughs> Five Finger Filet. They invented okay. that. I actually don't know. Baseball. <laughs> Russian roulette. <laughs> But classical Russian music would find its way into their versions later, too, although probably not the iconic tracks you're thinking of yet. I think the main menu of the game also included a reference to a famous German pilot who was arrested with hooliganism for flying around Red Square. Cool. <laughs> I think the, the flag said play Tetris on it. Mm -hmm. By doing all this, they would make the product, quote, exotic and mysterious, especially to a customer base totally unfamiliar with the culture across the pond in the USSR. They wanted people to be curious about it, considering the state of where we were as nations back then. Surely a box art featuring the Kremlin would be bound to raise even a few eyebrows. So like yeah, I mean, and the last time a German was flying over Red Square wasn't the best fucking time for the Russians. <laughs> so... <laughs> this is a stupid question, but yeah. are we pre-post or during Cold War right now? This is during. This is the... the, the this okay. Cold War technically ended in 91, or no? Yeah. I, no, yeah. And I guess the Cold War? Yeah. The Cold War never ended, bro. I mean, th this is, this, true. This is at the, the Soviet heart. Union fell in 93 or 91. Well, it's somewhere between there. Uh, so if you want to count that as the end. Th this is at the heart of what culture would call the... Yeah, so the, the 80s. If you, if you read any Cold War stories or into any Cold War fictions, it usually takes place between 84 and 87. Like, yeah. I think this is 86 where we're at right now. One of my favorite dedications to this strategy, though, was that when Tetris began to be shown around at trade shows, Spectrum would hire Reagan and Gorbachev impersonators to promote the game as a duo together. The Cold War is over, in all caps, was even their <laughs> official tagline for advertisements celebrating the upcoming release. <laughs> A bold tagline there, fellas. <laughs> for fucking Tetris. <laughs> the launch being set for January of 1988. Just a heads up, we will be jumping back and forth in time a little bit. Can't episode. wait for Super Mario Odyssey 2 tagline, capitalism is over. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> we're not in 1988 yet, but that's when they're scheduling this release. Anyway, only a few weeks before this, Richard Stein would suddenly receive a message from yet another organization in Russia, ELORG, or Electronic Org Technica for short, I guess. They quickly accused business that he was selling Tetris illegally and that there would be consequences if all future negotiations didn't now go through them. Was he selling Tetris illegally? 
We'll get there. And <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> but this was a group, by the way, that the Soviet Ministry of Foreign Trade formed specifically to import and export technology. Their series of calculators like the LR-51 and LR-60 were very successful for other nearby communist nations. But yeah, under Gorbachev, the real one this time, restrictions under trade with the West finally loosened. This was how the company here could seek for new undertakings internationally. And their expertise was tech, so this definitely meant computer software, including video games. Yeah, their economy was struggling a little bit by this point. Oh, yeah. The whole reason the Russians so heavily enforced this ideology thing is because it's the same thing that happened with the space race. It was about proving that not capitalism could get something yes, done yeah. on a large scale. Like, that's why they industrialized so fast. That's why they had so many agriculture problems. That's why they wanted to make it to the moon. It was like, I hey, mean, this, look, communism can do the shit, The space too. race was a huge part of our first episode because that was, like, initiative to bring younger people yeah. into also pursuing science. Exactly. Like, so that's yeah. why it makes sense that they were so, like, stalwart about defending intellectual properties getting yes. in and out of the country. They're like, fuck you. Like, we made this. Nobody like, really knew what Tetris would do yet. Basically, though, once they found out what people over at the Russian Academy of Sciences were making, including Alexei artificial intelligence software, they decided to pay him a little visit. This was when they asked him if the AI program was for sale. However, during the meeting, our main man brought up this whole Tetris game he was also working on, all while going on about the troubles he was having with AcademySoft and licensing with Stein. Upon hearing this, though, the once-friendly representatives from Elorgs suddenly got real, real mad. They hammered down on poor Alexei and his team about how he had no legal authority to connect with anyone outside the country in regards to deals of software made there. But they already were working with their own people, right? Like, I mean, it's... This, wait, this group, I guess, did I miss it? They're higher up than the Academy Soft people? Elorg? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's almost like the uh, the South Park bit of the, who's in charge here? I am. Not anymore, you're not. Like, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's literally like, one of the biggest parts of the story is sort of miscommunications on top of miscommunications and not knowing who is in charge or who has authority. It's kind of hopefully disorganized. It's communism for you, man. USA. USA. <laughs> I know who's in charge, man. I do whatever he says. <laughs> Not only this, but they quickly demanded that the lab group hand over all of their paperwork on the matter ASAP. Further reading of that, of course, then just led to the reps discovering the contract and an international business partnership for a video game. A video game developed by a researcher on their property on their time. A video game set to be sold in the West and Japan for profit. All this despite no approval and no signature. This was also when Robert Stein be asked to travel there to Moscow in person to explain himself and his venture. Is it gulag time? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm waiting for it. Is, is it, it what? Is it gulag time yet? <laughs> it felt like an interrogation, he said. The that's, reps, that's weird. The reps from Elorg no. were untrusting and impatient. Now I'm going to read the next exchange between the two sides verbatim. Why are you selling Tetris without our permission? I didn't this even isn't know. Russian. I didn't even know you guys existed. He responded. My immersion is kind of broken. Could you please do it in a Russian <laughs> please. accent, please? <laughs> do not make him do a Russian accent. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, right. he, he said, "Why are you selling Tetris without our permission?" And he responded with. I didn't even know your group existed. He had no idea. Yeah. That, that, like, That's weird. It was secretive. That's weird. <laughs> he wasn't intimidated and held his ground firm, though. If the department pulled out from the deal now, it would look pretty embarrassing to the higher-ups in the USSR. After all, they, quote, 
didn't want to seem too unreliable in the world's economy. Remember, this was a society very much still in recovery from the tragic events of April 26, 1986, less than two years prior, which was, Austin, you name it. Chernobyl. Yeah. Also, four years before I was born. Four <laughs> years and one day. <laughs> but that's right. Chernobyl was very embarrassing. <laughs> The worst yeah. nuclear disaster in history was understandably quite fresh in the minds of the, the entire planet. The worst nuclear disaster in history so, so far. <laughs> <laughs> also, they shouldn't have had all those British people handle it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what I saw the show. <laughs> but this meant people's perspectives of Russia wasn't too great right now, with the official Soviet criminal trial only taking place six months prior in July of '87. That's just because their Ukraine was pissed because their citizens can't breathe or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's getting cancer. <laughs> the oh, last 10,000 people used to live there. Now it's a ghost town. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the last thing anyone wanted representing the nation was another stigma, no matter how small, of being difficult to collaborate with. So Not what you're saying is that Tetris is a nuclear-level disaster on par with Chernobyl. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was, I was only paying half attention, but like, that's what I got. Not only that, but those at the top of the Russian government food chain likely had a lot more to worry about right now than ticking gamers off about it. Yeah, puzzle. they're trying to boycott Olympics and shit. <laughs> they did that, yeah. Yeah, they did. <laughs> that's from last week. <laughs> but yeah, they, didn't need, to make, two weeks they ago. didn't need to make more people mad about this little puzzle game, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, especially with further investigations of the incident still being pursued. I think the investigations on Chernobyl went through to 92 or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, But they continued to deliberate for hours. Alorg wanting final approval on anything and Stein wanting his Tetris rights along with the rest of the other rights he hadn't even obtained yet. The ones that would add platforms outside just the IBM PC. But unfortunately, the debates ended that day with no settlements. Weird. Meanwhile, here in the States, the game was being prepped for launch. And on January 29th... Launch! 1988... <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> 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 Spectrum Holobyte officially released their version of Tetris. The MSRP was $34.99. A lot. And the bright red box with yeah, bold I mean, yellow lettering... Yeah, or something like it. <laughs> reading Steve. the game's title in Russian was on the shelves. And their tactic of standing out in the market worked perfectly as it quickly rose up the sales charts to 100,000 units sold in the first year alone. <laughs> okay, so let me get this right. <laughs> They just stole a Russian game without ever having a contract and then just started selling it on the shelves in America. Uh-huh. All right, everything sounds right on track. <laughs> Wait, did they steal it? They didn't have any rights yet I to thought they had rights it. to the IBM one. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, they, they had rights to the IBM oh, PC okay, version. okay. Sorry. The theft will come very soon. <laughs> well, spoilers. <laughs> but Mirasoft's UK edition uh, was also now out there in the wild as well. It didn't sell as good as the American counterpart. That's but it's those Brits are stupider than they look. <laughs> but it, there goes half our it's still, British audience. It still did well enough. Uh, we have a lot of listeners in Ireland. Don't they hate the British? Yeah. Wait, go. depends on what part of Ireland. Okay, that's true. <laughs> Some internally thought the decision here to remove all the Russian imagery that the U.S. version had may have been what led to less demand over there. Sure. Regardless, the reviews in both territories were still killing it. Words of praise were pouring in from the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, 
However, and I love this, some paranoid outlets cutely pointed out that the game almost felt like it was part of a secret plan, from the enemy superpower to lower worker production in competing nations. <laughs> if only, yeah, dude. <laughs> the relations with Mother Russia yeah, weren't dude, exactly I've... cool to everyone yet, I suppose. I wish that fucking Russian <laughs> intervention just made me play Tetris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not see people argue about racism on the internet with regards to Star Wars. <laughs> if I could just play Tetris and then they would be fucking over the country, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, jeez. But either way, that didn't stop most people from having Tetris-filled evenings and even work days. Noticing this, Spectrum inserted a special feature in future editions of the game where they included a uh, clickable icon in the top left corner of the screen that, when selected, would instantly hide the playfield of those maybe looking to pause and not alert another party of its continued session. So wait, they put like a Pornhub private mode on the Tetris? Yeah, essentially. That's dope, dude. That's like when you go to those websites and they have, you can read Reddit, but it looks like Outlook. Wait, really? That's a thing? No, I didn't know that. There's a a suite of websites out there where you can read Reddit, but it presents it as either Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Outlook, or Microsoft PowerPoint. That's incredible. That's hilarious. So it makes you look like you're working, but you're just reading Reddit. That's amazing. I wonder if they have that for her stern on my phone. <laughs> no, they don't. Oh, uh, yeah. If it's anybody that would know. Yeah. But apart from this success, there was still Robert Stein, whose contract with the Soviets lie in limbo, all while Spectrum and Microsoft began working on the ports to other home PC platforms. Although then, in May of eight, 1988, something kind of crazy happened. The first battle in the Tetris War was over after four months a back and forth regarding the rights since those other two versions went public, L. Organstein had made a deal. Now, we don't know the exact sum of who exactly would receive what money-wise, but we did know that the agreement would allow, and this is important, for Tetris to be, quote, ported to different types of computers. Eh? You guys pick up what I'm putting down? All right. Yeah. It's, this is going to be one of those, well, what is a computer right, kind yeah. of discussions. So Tetris can Vague. come out on the Series X. So the Russians were essentially under, under the assumption that, like, oh, you could port it for the Apple II and Commodore 64. While Stein was like, hey, the Nintendo's pretty hot. The NES is a computer, technically. <laughs> yeah. It's all ones and zeros. So, like, to your comment earlier, it's not that things were, like, blatantly stolen but they kind of were it this right. it's, it's hard to... in the biz is a legal loophole yes uh, i wonder why the russians were so against the console well i think it was just more that they wanted final say they wanted to oversee everything and the problem with development and consoles is like you have multiple publishers handling things you have different branches and subsidiaries of like so the last time they let somebody else oversee something a, ro- a royal family took control of their country and put them all into poverty for five thousand years <laughs> But to Stein, this what? uh this well, deal which countries <laughs> that I think I feel like that could Every explain major yeah, power. Power. <laughs> I feel like that could explain most of Europe. <laughs> this deal pretty much meant that he could publish wherever, including home consoles. All of them. Also, this is when Jim Machinage asked about those sweet arcade and handheld rights. He assured that those would be next and soon. It didn't take long after that for Tetris to be involved in, quote, a tangled web of sub-licenses over who could do what with it. Hmm. Honestly, even today, the game's publishing is confusing. Mr. Gorbachev, (laughs) tear down this legal wall. (laughs) Like, obviously, we haven't seen... Damn it, that could have been a good joke. I just burnt those on the stupid. Mr. Gorbachev, get that line block and clear that wall. (laughs) 
It's like a Futurama when the yeah. robots are building the structure. Dude, they I, finally, I finally got it. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And then a block falls into it. Bloop. And the whole Berlin Wall disappears. <laughs> now, obviously, we haven't gotten too deep into the Nintendo stuff yet here. But then, even after these years, the Tetris name continued to get passed around, like, left and right. Like, THQ had exclusive rights for a while. Then Sega in Japan and Ubisoft outside Japan, which is what resulted in Puyo Puyo Tetris a couple years ago, taking a while to come over here. Sony had it for a bit at one point. It's kind of crazy how it works with this game. Like, now they have a, they essentially have a dedicated company to oversee this, yeah. to minimize this you know, kind of confusion, but it's still sort of weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now let's get into where I came on board, the uh, sensation. Enter the Las Vegas Winter Consumer Electronics Show in January of 88, where Spectrum and a proud Phil Adam were, of course, showing off their new hotness. Which, according to first-hand accounts there that year, their booth had quite the long line of people ready to try it out and play. Now, this is where we're going to introduce another cool cat into the cast of our story, Mr. Hank Rogers. A Dutch game designer and entrepreneur who was the owner of Japanese publisher Bulletproof Software. Although I think now they are called Blue Planet Software and are not only still around today, but interestingly enough, are still actually affiliated with uh, Tetris in some ways. This is a um, tech show in 1988. Yeah, CS, Consumer Electronics Show. Nice. Yeah. In 19, what that place must have looked like. Yeah, right. Not a single cosplay titty in sight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there was a ton of. Booth babes. Uh, that, yeah, that was more a of a nineties clad women and a ton of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they would soon become essential in making Tetris the name that it is today. And if you're wondering why uh, he is running a company based out of Japan, it was because... It's because he's Dutch and they love imperialism. <laughs> it was because he moved there from the United States after falling in love with a Japanese woman on a work trip. Much more wholesome. (laughs) I think the imperialism thing was better. (laughs) But his company had probably been most known at the time for a title called The Black Onyx, a Dungeons & Dragons-inspired turn-based RPG of which he led development on. You fucking nerd. It was even later ported from the PC to the Famicom, while its original version went on to outsell every other computer release in the country of that year, with many calling it the first real successful Japanese role-playing video game, helping to familiarize the public there with such a genre. So you hear that, Austin? Kingdom Hearts 3 is basically his fault. (laughs) <laughs> also, I was about to make a joke about how Japan never went on to make another role-playing game. <laughs> but. Even prior to that Famicom port, though, he was enamored with the console and really wanted to bring more titles to it. After finding out about how the third Nintendo president of Japan, Hiroshi Yamauchi, was such a fan of the board game Go, he personally approached him wanting to make a digital version of it for the platform. Mm. Did that Black Onyx game have Elsa from Frozen in it? You know, I haven't played it. Look at these graphics. They barely had any fucking body in it. (laughs) That one on the left looks like Elsa from Frozen. (laughs) It's wearing blue. It could also be fucking (laughs) Sub-Zero. 
I'm just waiting for Ed, like the toasty head to pop up. <laughs> well, Yamauchi loved the idea and gave him an advance of 30 million yen. I think that's about that's like $3. It's, I think it's $300,000 to pursue it. But why does this matter? This was basically how he became an official Nintendo licensee. Right. Shaping most of his ventures from here on out into the world of publishing. Right. So popping around at trade shows in search of what to bring home with him to Japan became his primary gig. Right. Anyway, Rogers is there patiently waiting in this line, ready to get his hands on some Russian puzzle goodness. And wouldn't you know it, he loved it too. Except he uh, also didn't really super know what all the hubbub was about yet either. Quote, Tetris was probably the quietest game at the show. Even then, products were graphically exciting, but this game was a totally different thing. I wanted to play because it struck some basic chord. I couldn't stop playing. Yeah. He supposedly even got back in line more than five times just to have another round at it. That's funny to say that the graphics weren't that good at the time. He says this is 1988. Yeah. So what's like the pinnacle right now? Is it Mario? Uh... Or... I mean, well, if you look at stuff on the NES, at this point, Mario and Zelda and stuff were out. Even Donkey Kong, like, they had characters. Like, they had, like... I guess, but know. arguably, Tetris graphically was exactly the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess, but it's like you didn't have a moving stage. You didn't have enemies coming yeah, in that had like their own Mega designs. Man. Mega Man was, uh, was that 88? Or was, it was, might have been around the same time. Yeah. Castlevania? So it's like those games. Those games had an aesthetic, you know. Like Tetris was essentially just like a black background with nothing but blocks. Though the uh, the him getting back in line thing reminds me of when you hear about people in games press who were around for when like Street Fighter Two like first premiered or like later like Soul Calibur, and they would just be these expos where all these people would just keep getting right back in line over and over. But not only was he hooked. He was sold. This was the exact thing he was looking for to bring with him across the pond and onto the Famicom. It was, quote, simple, easy to program, and required little translation. He then found out that Gilman Louie, the actual president of Spectrum Hullabite, was already soon to be on his way to Japan to shop the game around. His first destination, though, was at the ASCII Corporation in Tokyo one of the largest Japanese publishing companies out there. Except, funny thing, they said it was too retro, but their loss was Roger's gain, as he now had an in. He and Louie then signed a letter of intent, which I had to look ASCII? up. ASCII? What's that name? Why do I know that uh, name? ASCII is a series of codes that computers use to convert text and symbols into okay. numbers. Yeah. Yeah. That's just wild that they were one of the biggest around. The man, the like, Ameri- how was Nintendo not like foresaw? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, the American yeah. Standard Code for Information Interchange. Okay. Okay. That's that's what that stands that's for. That's what ASCII stands for. <laughs> but he and Louis then signed a letter of intent, which I had. I did have to look this up. It's essentially a non-binding contract before the formal one. Yeah, that's um, what uh, NCAA players sign when they're in high school. Oh, yeah? So that everybody can profit off them and pay the coaches a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Companies like EA, for instance. (laughs) But this was for Bulletproof Software to publish Tetris in Japan for pretty much every single possible platform there that there was. Rogers offered the typical cash in advance, plus royalties, and Spectrum agreed. Despite having the ability to reach Japan, they didn't really have any plans to do so. Rogers had already proven his experience there, so why not? So it's like Spectrum basically had the authority to release games in the Americas and Japan 
but they were only focused on America right now. So when a third party came in and was like, hey, we'll help you get the game over to Japan, like you have the rights to do this, right? And they're like, absolutely, and passed it off to him. And he's like, all right, you take it. So it's just like this you're going further down like the, this list of companies. Like, Meanwhile, Alexi's tied to a chair somewhere. In <laughs> yeah. fucking oh, that's Moscow, the funniest part when we get to, to that stomach. Like, Alexi has did you no sell it? Yeah, he has no fucking idea all this is going on. Uh, <laughs> so Louis then uh, called Jim from Mirasoft to break the news. But then this was when he just suddenly discovered from Jimmy that the console and arcade rights for the territory had already been previously sold. The buyer, which one day I still want to do uh, an entire episode on these guys too, was Tengen, or better known as a subsidiary of Atari Games. Yeah. Yeah. Or I guess it's pronounced uh, Tengen. How did they get the arcade right? I always thought it was Tengen. I thought it was Tengen too, but I've also heard Tengen. Okay. So I guess I can't say I know. We're we're, we're now in a Gris-Gris situation, I guess, aren't we? How the hell did they get the arcade rights? Who sold them? Yeah, so it's sort of interesting is they basically, while this stuff was going in the United States, made a deal with Mirasoft over in the UK. So oh. apparently everyone over at Tengen was addicted too, and they wanted those rights while they were still hot and cheap. Yeah. So like Rogers was obviously super bummed, especially when he found out what they paid and what it was in exchange for. Atari got the arcade rights for Japan and America, while Mirrorsoft was permitted to publish Blasteroids in the UK, a lukewarm received follow-up to the smash hit Asteroids. Are you there, fucking kidding me? There weren't even royalties along with it or upfront money either. Who made this deal? <laughs> it was a terrible deal. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen footage of Blasteroids? I think I played no. it before, but apparently... No, but there's still a Tetris and everywhere there's a fucking arcade yeah. in, every, in the world. <laughs> there's no Blasteroids out there. <laughs> Louis was, uh, understandably, he was mad as fuck, but there was nothing he could do about it. Mirasoft had way more leeway in having a direct connection with their parent company, Maxwell, as they were both British-based. Remember, Spectrum was stuck over here in the States. So once Rogers found out that he could only have the PC license and that wanting the console and arcade rights would mean having to go through Atari first, he called him. And they quickly told him to piss off. Yeah, hey, can I have those to give them to Nintendo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were like, uh, no. <laughs> but he wasn't giving up, though. After this, he decided to fly out to California, where their American headquarters was, Atari's, and stake out in the parking lot until an opportunity to talk to their president would arise. What a crazy time the 80s were. Yeah. There's a dude sitting in his hot 80s car, chain-smoking cigarettes, waiting for the president <laughs> yes. of a corporation to leave the building so he can corner him without getting the rights president to a, a video corp- game. President of a corporation, who I'm pretty sure is also the president of Chuck E. Cheese. Wait, really? Yeah, you know that? <laughs> no. Nolan, the Atari CEO. Nolan Bushnell oh, that's... Uh, also created Chuck E. Cheese. No, no. Back then, this was Hadouki Makajima. Oh, right. There are Japanese company. Yeah. Because at the time, this was the third iteration of Atari at that point, yeah. out of, I think, six, maybe? I can't fucking keep track of that stupid company, but Norman Bushwell was the head of Atari, I think, the fifth or the fourth. <laughs> I don't know. They became Infrogrames at some point. They were like Atari Inc., then Atari Games. Now they make Snapchat glasses. I have no... like. I, I, it makes no sense. <laughs> anyway... As Makajima was walking to his car about to head home one night, Rogers jumped on him and beat the living shit out of him. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. He made his sales pitch. This bold strat... He was like, there he is. Fuck, quick. Yeah. He, he quickly <laughs> like buttoned up his button up, got his tie, 
brushed a bunch of like crumbs off. Pulled his out shirt. a clipboard and yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he'd been sitting in his car for fucking. Seven yeah, there's just candy wrappers on there. Uh, but this bold strategy actually led to an official meeting, and later over sushi, they figured out the details. Turns out Makajima couldn't even give the arcade rights to Rogers if he wanted to. Because they were already sold to Sega, a company who we uh, it's a timeout. A company we will also later get into as they improperly believed that they had the console rights with it too. So wait, how could okay the console? This rights, has to be the messiest, most yeah. hard to follow story of a fucking video game getting published the ever. The console rights. It's insane how many hands are in this already. The console rights were never given. No, yeah, they, <laughs> that, that, that's the right way to start yeah. this. Technically, yeah, no one here is, should be doing any yeah. of this. So Has the authority Russian to do said, this. go ahead, publish it on other computers. Yeah. To Stein, who yeah. was an American, right? No, Stein was the, the Hungarian. No, Stein oh, was yes, Stein was yes, a yes, Hungarian. Yes. He was his business was in the UK. Yeah, right. he, was, he operated in the UK. Mirosoft was the connection there. Yeah, because Mirosoft is the UK publishing branch. Spectrum Holobyte yeah. is the US publishing branch. They're both owned by Maxwell All right, Corp. So then, and then Mirosoft sold the console rights to Atari in Japan, and also <laughs> their American headquarters of Atari sold it to Sega. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so so just to recap, the Russian While government... the American branch is trying to sell to Nintendo. Yeah. So the yes, Russian... in Japan, but they can't because yeah. the Atari already bought it and then sold it. <laughs> Correct. Right, so let me go over this and make sure I got it. Yeah. So the Russian government sold the ability to publish on the Commodore 64. Yeah, well, it was the IBM first, then they allowed them to make ports for the Commodore and Apple II. And to stuff. Max Stein. Yes. Who then sold the rights to publish on whatever To Robert, to Robert Stein. Robert Stein. Yeah. So then sold... The rights to whatever the fuck they wanted to publish it on to Mirosoft, <laughs> yeah. who was partnered with Spectrum Holobyte. Yeah, because that was then, the American branch. And then Mirosoft sold the rights to Tengen, who was owned, owned by, by Atari. Yeah. And then <laughs> Atari. And then a guy who was a representative from Blue Planet, did you say? <laughs> no, that's who they later became Bulletproof. Bulletproof was, yeah. tried to buy it for Nintendo. Yes. But then he for was the told Game Boy. no because they already sold it to Atari. So then he he staked out Atari <laughs> yes. and then found America, out that Atari, Atari of America, America, the Atari of America, yeah. Atari of America had sold the same rights that the company <laughs> he works for in Japan owned to Sega. Yes. <laughs> so Nintendo couldn't have it. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> Because at this time, the Sega Master System and NES were still And if our Sega out. story wasn't any evidence enough, Japanese and American branches of video game companies <laughs> obviously don't discuss anything with each other. Dude, we are all like Char a sweating Charlie Day with <laughs> yeah. fucking red so yarn on the court. How does anybody make money? <laughs> Like also, four okay, here, in, in your yeah. summary, we still didn't even get into the Russians in general with Andromeda Software, Academy Soft, and Elorg, which is this fucking... Elorg is the Scientology thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and what, by the way... What was like, that ship called? Like, it was like, something <laughs> org, wasn't it? A sea org. A sea org. <laughs> the funniest part, too, is like, Alexei has no fucking idea. That <laughs> Alexei's still trying to make voice recognition in the 80s. Yeah. That poor guy. It still doesn't fucking work. Yeah. <laughs> What's Boober's obsession with fucking voice recognition? <laughs> I don't know, dude. Okay, well, 
you said, how does anybody make money? Here, let's talk about economics for two hours so I can explain to you. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't it really matter doesn't. how long we I talk when you talk about it. Because when you That's hear about all these deals, the deals are for like an upfront fee, and they just keep splitting royalties off with more and more companies. Right. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how things get distributed. Yeah. <laughs> The weird thing is, I know who published Tetris on the NES. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to trace it back. It's fucking wild. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it. Right now, the only thing I know is the Sonic guys are making a Tetris movie. <laughs> you know that fucking, uh, that shit-ass Pixels movie, like, actually had to go through to the Tetris company to, like... Yeah, remember when that short came out that yeah. it's based on? And that, that was, was probably really the best cool? gag in the short. Yeah. But Rogers was willing to make a deal about the Japanese console rights because that's what he was really going for. Makajima was much more focused on the North American market anyway to put out their Tengen version of Tetris. The price was a tad high for our bulletproof software president at $300,000, the same amount that he received from Nintendo earlier that year for the game Go. This was that's like how much a house costs. I Could you imagine yeah. buying the rights to Tetris for I the know. price of less than one of our parents' houses? <laughs> Remember, I think the first Tetris deal in the previous episode was uh, was ten grand yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it's like yeah. we could have pulled our money together and. Uh, <laughs> Indiegogo, um, we're buying top button Tetris. We're buying it. <laughs> but that earlier deal with Nintendo about the the Go game was likely the only way that this purchase could have ever even happened, and boy, he knew it was going to be worth it. Fast forward. A little to later that year, when the home console edition then hit the shelves in Japan. And shockingly, the game wasn't exactly a hit there right off the bat. Their first numbers were about at 40,000. Who published it? Tengen. 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 Okay. Tengen. Tengen. <laughs> uh, but this is way, way less than the other regions like here in the U.S. where it was selling hundreds of thousands. Rogers, even soon after, contacted Nintendo of Japan in hopes that they could maybe give the title a bit more push there. This... What the fuck is Sega doing with the console rights? Are they selling they're it in working, Japan? They're or? working on their own version for the Master System. Uh, or the, I guess soon okay. to be the... Well, they, they had the arcade rights. But then they were also wanting to make a home console for the yeah, Master System and that makes the sense, Genesis. Sega was really in. arcade kings. At that yes, time. they were. They were much more focused on arcades back then. Uh, but this is when Yamauchi would pass the request down to some nobody named. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> Yeah, no idea who he is. Pikmin? No, he made a steel diver, was it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm obviously joking here, as the legendary developer was fast to believe in the title, seeing its future opportunity as a major success. When Yamauchi simply asked him why, Miyamoto responded with telling him that all of your secretaries and accountants are playing it. The appeal was <sighs> universal, and Yamauchi now saw that too. Yeah. <laughs> also, just trust him. Exactly. Just yeah, trust just him. trust him. But now those once 40,000 orders then rose to over 200,000 as advertising for it finally began to let loose. Years later, it would become the best-selling game on the platform at 2 million fucking copies, Jeez. beating Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda. The only problem was the more successful Tetris became, the more apparent that wonky-ass deal with Stein and the Russians would feel. 
people's eyes would absolutely tend to lock back on something the more money there was to make, right? Yeah, because at this point, whoever's making the most money is the person last in line who just happened to own Tetris right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, so Tetris... At this... I'm no, it's... it's I know. At, this is the Tengen Tetris. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it is out on the Famicom, not the NES yet. This okay, is, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Currently, it I is found out, released in Japan. By the way, that the Tengen Tetris is technically called because of something I'm sure you'll get to later, mm -hmm. Tetris, the Soviet mind game. Yes. <laughs> that is the full title of Tengen I'm actually, Tetris. I'm actually glad you read that, because that's not technically in my script, but that is important, and yeah. like, and it's also funny. Like yeah. <laughs> because it's funny, the Nintendo version, as we made the title, the From Russia with Fun, was that was Nintendo's thing. That yeah. was like their tagline. <laughs> So basically, all our heavy hitters are now in on it. Nintendo, the kings of the video game world, are now two. It wouldn't take long for that news to reach everyone else, including those that got Tetris here to begin with. You know, considering the NES in America alone was fastly approaching 7 million units sold. At this point, there was more money in Nintendo games than every single other PC platform put together. Yeah. This was even prior to their next home run product, the Game Boy, you know, the, which would make its debut coming soon. Mm -hmm. And that debut needed something with it. See, in the States, it was common here to package an actual game in with your console, a trend that's still commonplace today, although I do feel systems should still do it on the first run. Just saying. They never do. No. But yeah, in the words of Halo, it's killer app time. Mm -hmm. So Hank Rogers then went to meet up with first Nintendo of America president, Minoru Arakawa, at their headquarters in Redmond, Washington, to suggest the idea of bundling in Tetris with the launch Game Boys. He claimed it would have broader appeal to a wider age group than, say, a Mario game. I know Mario Land was the uh, initial handheld Mario game then at release, and uh, I'm just curious. This is actually not... A Did you guys ever play Mario Land? Yes. No, that game's fucking so. weird, ain't it? Yeah. Like, it <laughs> the Koopa Troopers. If I did, I don't remember. The Koopa Troopers are bombs. Mario drove a submarine and went to space. I played it on my TI-89 calculator. Wait, really? Yeah. Did it still have the music? No. Oh, it doesn't have a speaker. That's the best part. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have a speaker? Some calculators have a little speaker in the back. No. No. Oh. Randall, that's an iPod. Randall, that was a Zune. <laughs> Anywho, the thought intrigued Arakawa, especially after seeing the results and how successful the Famicom version was doing over in Japan. Not only that, but Tengen was also preparing to put out their own Tetris for the NES here in the States. Those handheld rights, though, those were technically still up for grabs. This was oh, when yeah, because it's different. Yeah, this was when Unless Rogers it's a computer, and then in that <laughs> okay. case, it is a computer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, then in that case, they're already somebody already has it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this was when Rogers contacted old Robert Stein. Wait, about, I love this. Technically, there's more illegal rights we can garner out of thin air still. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Imagine question. if contracts were still signed this way, where it was like a computer. Here's my question, and this is probably way too in depth for any of us to answer. But how do rights work? 
like that. Like the game was developed. Oh, it's in, all made up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. The game yeah. was developed in Russia, uh-huh. right? Can Russia sue an American company for making a patent on well, it's an funny, American at, invention? At like that if they were just patent Tetris? At that point, that's when you have an international incident. That's when it requires... Uh, we already have international incidents every day. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's why I think there's international courts that handle like, okay. cases like that. Yeah, yeah. But Rogers phoned Robert Stein about where to take the process next. And of course... Make another deal. We need more of those in this story. 20... Somebody hit up Seor. <laughs> 25 Gs. <laughs> 25 Gs. That's it. Up front for the mobile rights to Tetris. That was his pitch. Now the mobile rights. This means years later. <laughs> I have Tetris on my iPhone. <laughs> but Stein didn't really know how to respond, though. He didn't exactly have the handheld rights to give. Those were never explicitly. <laughs> Nobody had any so, rights to well, yeah. <laughs> Russia doesn't even know what a handheld is. <laughs> handheld like a pistol. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, Mirosoft was on the other side still bugging him about it, too. Basically, he was going to have to go check back in with the Russians first, and that was never totally easy. This is bullshit. Your made-up thing is cooler than my made-up thing, so you gotta go talk to the boss. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) Yeah. So this was when another major issue came to light. Somewhere during all these confusing legal endeavors around the game and its releases... Elorg wasn't getting paid. Millions of copies were selling. Did they have royalties? They had yet to see a cent of it. That's the Russian holder. Yeah. So they sent their new director, get this Russian as name, Nikolai Belikov, who, quote, had quite the reputation for being cutthroat. Although Alexei would later be. He literally cuts people's throats. (laughs) Also, it sounds very similar to the, the protagonist-antagonist of the fourth Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and what if the fourth Grand Theft Auto was about him going to collect the Tetris That's rights? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Alexi would later comment on him as being an excellent actor. And um, a, also Grand Tetris Auto, before a, we move on. Grand Tetris Auto. <laughs> And a worthy negotiator. So after he went over the May 88 contract, he noticed that pay was required to be coming in to them after three months. And this was three months after that. So they were overdue. They were overdue from their pay from Mirsoft, who was probably not even getting paid from, you know, whoever was down the line. Yeah. I guarantee a Tengen and Atari themselves were the only people actually making any money off of the I bet Nintendo game. was too at this point for the Famicom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But Stein was stuck in the middle. Unlicensed arcade cabinets were already selling. Something else he didn't really want getting out there. So he thought the best course of action would be to fly out to see them and settle the whole thing out with everyone. To the Russians or to the Japanese? To the Russians. Meanwhile, though... They need to have... uh, Meet with the Russians in person. That's a great move. (laughs) They need to have some sort of Reservoir Dogs meeting of everybody (laughs) who has a piece of Tetris. (laughs) Meanwhile, though, an ignored Rogers was beginning to feel pretty suspicious of the whole thing. Not only that... But this was when he caught wind of the Spectrum attempting to make a partnership with Nintendo thing, too. Which, which one's Rogers? Is he the guy in King's Landing? or He's the bulletproof software guy. Oh. <laughs> He's the guy at the wall. Okay. Yeah. But this angered Rogers. The Russians are the White Walkers. <laughs> so much. Are you Game of Thrones fans out there? <laughs> Whatever. 
<laughs> but this angered Rogers so much that he attacked back by calling the Nintendo president and telling Arakawa that Spectrum didn't even actually have the... She didn't have shit to sell to them. <laughs> this would stop them all in their tracks from finalizing anything without him. So then he packed his bags and flew over to speak to the Russians himself. So Stein's on his way over. Rogers is on his way over. Mm-hmm. But over at Mirasoft, they found out about Nintendo and their future Game Boy device and wanted in on it as well. Of course. So parent company Maxwell decided to send their managing director, Kevin Maxwell, the owner's son, to party it up in Moscow with everyone else. Ugh. Here's the thing, though. The con- and then John Wick's gonna come and kill all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the conglomerate had tricks up their sleeve, mostly in the form of connections to powerful diplomats. Then, in February of 1989, Stein, Rogers, and Kevy Maxwell were all finally together at the same place at the same time to duke it out for those precious arcade and handheld rights once and for all. The most important battle ever in the Soviet Union, <laughs> just two years for its complete and total utter collapse. <laughs> Poor Rogers, though, he was first, and well, upon arriving in Moscow, he was completely lost, having no idea where Elorg was <laughs> even located. Backwards, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to find Elorg, he didn't know where they were. Wait, he's a Dutch guy, never mind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Dude, you're a movie about this. I know, I'm waiting for the social network version of Tetris. I know. <laughs> Do you think Aaron Sorkin would write a Tetris movie and it all has like very soft, subtle Tetris music in the background? No, yeah, but Trent Reznor would be, and Atticus Ross would be remixing it, though. <laughs> yeah. so it'd be all like... It's a remix of Creep by Radiohead <laughs> with the Tetris music behind it. <laughs> but he tried to ask some friendly locals who, ironically enough, were playing Go. <laughs> but communication was still difficult for him. Yeah, they speak a language that developed 2,000 years branched off from yours. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, you're having difficulty communicating with them. The next day, though, he hired... Then again, he did work in Japan. Japanese is closer to fucking that Russian true, than Dutch yeah. or English. <laughs> the next day, though, he hired an interpreter, and the address for their building was eventually found. Once inside, and after stating why he was there, the lonely Dutch businessman anxiously waited in the lobby, later commenting about how maybe he shouldn't have walked into a place like that uninvited. Yeah. The tension was really in the air. Belikov, upon hearing that there was a representative from a Japanese company downstairs asking about Tetris, was surprised and upset. He's at, where at? Where's he at? He's at the Elorg headquarters. Oh, okay. I thought he was going to the university. Yeah, I have like a thin level of four to get into Elorg. <laughs> But it was very much against protocol here to speak on matters such as these with foreigners without the proper clearance from, you know, you know who. However, his curiosities, (laughs) his curiosities, Belikov's, I mean, got the best of him. So he decided to hear him out. Honestly, having any more bidders for the game would jack up the price to those other investors from larger companies and would assist in those negotiations. Sidebar, Kremlin, coolest name for a capital building in the world. Sounds like a battle mage's fortress. Mm -hmm. The White House is just racist. (laughs) No, No, absolutely. (laughs) So Belikov came downstairs and inquired who Rogers was and where he was from. Rogers then simply pulled out a Famicom <laughs> copy of Tetris. I'm a Dutch guy from a Japanese company who got the rights from an English company who got the rights from a Hungarian company. He's <laughs> going back to talk to you. Yes. Just smacks him. 
Where are you from? <laughs> well, here's the funny part. Instead of stating all that, all he did was pull out a Famicom copy of Tetris out of his bag and handed it to him. <laughs> he, he was trying to explain how him and his company were the biggest publishers of the game in the whole world. But Belikov, confused as all fuck, then angrily grabbed the game from him and responded about how no one should have had the rights to do this. As far as he knew or thought, a deal for a home console version was never fucking approved of yeah. by anyone at Elorg. Rogers, trying to keep his cool, attempted to deconstruct the chain of licensing and sub-licensing that led to Bulletproof acquiring everything and by the fairly. Way, he did what we've all just done, but way less comically. <laughs> Imagine yeah, how yeah. That one. yeah. So, like, we're gonna just to run through the pyramid one last time for this episode. We got <laughs> Alexei Pashinov makes the game. Uh huh. You got Elorg at the top of the Russian, just to encapsulate all of that in there. Yeah. Elorg at the top, passed down to Andromeda, passed down to Mirasoft, who is owned by Maxwell, passed down to Atari Tengen or I guess Tengen, or owned by Atari, and then finally, down to Bulletproof Software, who if was, you, who was trying stack, to make a deal with be, Nintendo. Be careful, if you stack too many companies on top of each other, all this will be... Oh, it's a fucking mess! It's like, yo, I just got that! <laughs> when are they going to implement the hold thing so you can hold one of the companies off to the side? <laughs> Bulletproof Software, obviously, you know, trying to get everything for Nintendo, who is at a war with Sega, who has the other Right, ones. and where's L. Ron Hubbard coming to this? <laughs> Right, that's, my, that's the end of my Scientology jokes. Thank you for coming. Wait, at this point in the 80s, he's still not... I guess he's still hanging out with fucking the Golden Temple guys. Yeah. <laughs> Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley, yep. yeah. But yeah, problem was, to Belikov, the buck only ran to Mirasoft in his mind. That was the last you know company that he knew was involved. He didn't know who the fuck Tengen was, and even then, the only... Say, Sonic? What? Yeah, the only deal he truly sought over himself was the one to Andromeda for the PC rights. All of this while going on to confiscate the Famicom cartridge from his hand and proclaim that he was illegally profiting off something that didn't belong to him. Welcome to capitalism, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Sue, like, the, the fucking Larry David with a Russian hat on. <laughs> What's the, the, the fucking The Simpsons bit where, uh, where fucking Lennon wakes up out of the... <laughs> must, must, must crush capitalism. capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. <laughs> The sad thing about all this was that Rogers was only really traveling over there in hopes of securing those handheld rights for that future Game Boy port, which we all know would soon be the biggest and most important one yet. Now he was potentially facing jail time in a foreign and unknown territory with fear of the gulag ahead of him. And even if he did safely make it out, he could still be losing everything upon making it back home again. Bankruptcy at its best and an international incident at its worst. And that is, my friends, where we're going to leave it for today. Damn it, Randall! <laughs> You're so good you at did this. it again! You should get a job writing Lost, dude. <laughs> Wait, no, does that mean this is never going to amount to anything? Yeah. <laughs> I do apologize, this is probably the most confusing episode. When we were taking a break for a minute, I was explaining how the, the more and more yeah, dude. people that get pulled yeah, out of the get, story... It'll easy. easier when the KGB starts taking people out. <laughs> I know, we're two episodes in and we haven't had any deaths yet. So. That's crazy. Yeah. So far. <laughs> but that is Tetris Part 2. Please tune back in again for Tetris Part 3. What a great ending. Uh, yeah, he I'll, did it again. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I will do a refresher at the, the next one as well to bring cool, back cool. where we all are. All right. Thanks for listening. If this is somehow your first episode, you fucked up because this is part two. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible place yeah. to start. Uh, <laughs> okay. You can go back and listen to Tetris part one if you haven't already. That's on our website, hotbuttoncast.com. I feel like I'm getting more and more unhinged as this series and progresses. And on there, we got links to YouTube. Google Play and Spotify and iTunes and all that other shit. Yeah. We also have links to our Instagram, our Twitter, and our Facebook at, at Hot Button Cast for those if you don't feel like going through the website. Keep an eye on those feeds. We got stuff coming up in the near future. We should have some more stuff other and, than if a you're listening, part Tetris series. Yeah, if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to rate and subscribe, please. Because yeah. yes, that comes with too. the video game algorithm, the podcast algorithm. It helps us. I'm breaking everyone's brains today. Another thing is, we're all pretty new to this, so we're not that good at the social medias. But if you're out there and you're listening, you don't know us in person. Hit us up on one of those sites. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, yeah and if you want to run it, let us know. We'll pay you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, tune in. Uh, yeah. I guess it'd be in two weeks. I can't wait to see your thumbnail right. for this. For Tetris Part 3. Part 3! Thanks for listening. Yeah.